Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. The power is literally in your hands. By electing John and a reverend, you can break the gridlock that has gripped Washington and this nation. With their votes in the Senate, we'll be able to make the progress we need to make on jobs, on health care, on justice, on the environment, on so many important things. By electing John and a reverend... Back at the beginning of January, Joe Biden went to Georgia to get out the vote. This was after Biden had been elected as president, but just before these two runoff races that would determine control of the Senate. And in this big speech, Biden told Georgia Democrats, and especially Black Georgia Democrats, that these runoff races were the key to so many of the things they wanted. Politics reporter Cleve Wooten was there at the time. Biden came to Georgia and in very simple terms said, if you vote for us, this is what we'll do. Like, if you vote for us, we'll move heaven. The only thing stopping you from getting these things that are important to you are these Republicans. And this really stuck out to Cleve. How explicit and adamant Biden was in all these promises. On revitalizing our economy, our health care, our voting rights, criminal justice, racial justice, climate change, on the things that matter and will make a difference in your lives and the lives of your families. Georgia! If you're like a black voter in Georgia, that that clip is is enraging because it just, everything that matters to you, Biden just serves it up. We can fix all this stuff. And it's just like literally a politician making promises. And then, you know, on the other side of the election, you have a politician making excuses. This month, Cleve went back to Georgia to find those Democrats who rallied and phone-banked and door-knocked to support Biden's agenda. Cleve wanted to know what they're thinking now. And spoiler alert, they're not happy. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, October 12th. A little over nine months into Biden's presidency, the infrastructure bill is languishing in Congress, and his poll numbers have fallen, especially among key Democratic constituencies, including Black Americans. Biden's approval rating among Black Americans fell from 85 percent in July to 67 percent in September. We're still a year away from the midterms, but it did make Cleve wonder— are the same people who work so hard to turn Georgia blue in the 2020 election going to be willing to put themselves on the line for the Democrats again? Cleve ended up talking to more than 20 people, and one of them was W. Mondale Robinson from the Black Male Voter Project. It wasn't so much to say that we believe Biden was going to be a champion of issues for black and brown folk, uh, specifically, in my case, black men, mm-hmm. because, we, because we know his history on black men and issues important to us. Mondell Robinson is the guy that helps to activate 
reluctant voters. So he sponsored and organized a slew of events at clubs and bars and concerts that were aimed at getting particularly black men out to vote in Georgia in the runoffs in the general election. People that normally don't come out to vote are very reluctant, that are not there every single time. And from his standpoint, he was wildly successful in doing that. And basically, he did it by making the case to them that if you if you come out to vote, if your voice is heard, then you're going to see these benefits begin to trickle into your community. We're hourly working people, mm-hmm. so we lose money to go vote for these candidates. Yet and still, we do. Um, election cycle after election cycle. So... How does Mr. Robinson feel now at this point in the Biden presidency? He's disappointed. He's he's frustrated. I mean, that's that that's what he told me is he feels like a lot of the things that Biden promised. And if we're being honest, a lot of the things that Mondell Robinson, you know, kind of said may happen if people go out and vote didn't happen. So he, he he's disappointed at the lack of criminal justice reform. We're still watching voter rights be attacked all over this country and nothing happens. The filibuster is still being used as as an avenue to prevent black people from receiving uh, equal life in America. And he feels like not just rage or I'm, I'm mad at Joe Biden for not doing X, Y, and Z, but also like he feels like this makes the work harder. The next time he has to go out and encourage reluctant voters to to cast a ballot or to show up, you know, how is he going to say, come vote if the last time they listened to him, you know, there were really no results? Nobody told black voters in Georgia or elsewhere in this country that if we give you two senators, the White House and the House, that we will still be in handcuffs because of a white senator or old white man from West Virginia. So I I think the Democrats are playing a very dangerous game. And I don't think this game has ramifications for 2024. I think it has ramifications forever. Cleve heard this from quite a few people. Folks who said, look, when we were trying to get people excited about the runoffs, we made real promises about what the future was going to look like when Democrats had control of the White House and the House and the Senate. And for a lot of folks, that meant, oh, we can actually see some real change. Like this is an election where if you cast your ballot, if Democrats win, you can see an end to all of this gridlock. And that energy was stoked by President Biden. It was stoked by Stacey Abrams. It was stoked by Kamala Harris. Everybody saw this as an inflection point. And I think that hope was particularly sharp for Black voters who felt like, look, in states like Georgia, we are what is delivering you this win, and we're the kind of foundational part of your electorate that can support you in this presidency. And, like, we expect to be rewarded for our loyalty to Democrats, that, like, Black voters are going to see really substantive change in this presidency. Last year, you had Black voters, particularly Black women, saving Joe Biden over and over again in South Carolina during Super Tuesday and then in the general and then, you know, sort of handing Democrats a governing majority. And so for a lot of black voters, it was like, okay, you know, we're we're going to, quote unquote, do our part and and we're going to put these folks in office and they're going to remember 
our contributions. They're going to remember what happened here and how important of an electorate that we are. And then that's going to pay dividends when it comes to these issues that are important to us and to our communities. And so in terms of the things that Black voters in particular were hoping for, especially in Georgia, what were those things and what do they feel now has not yet come to pass? Yeah, I I feel the need to put in the aside that, you know, black voters are not necessarily a monolith, you know, and they're also concerned about economy and, you know, the American Rescue Plan or the coronavirus and all of that stuff. But there's some specific issues that were highlighted during the campaign. Voting rights, particularly in Georgia, as attack after attack after attack was mounted on making it harder for people to vote, specifically for minorities to vote. That is a seminal, important issue. Like these folks came out to vote in mass in large part to preserve their right to come out to vote in mass. Right. Criminal justice reform and in a larger way, dismantling systemic racism, particularly after the killing of George Floyd, highlighted so much of what was wrong with the criminal justice system or what was wrong with systemic racism in America. Like a lot of folks were expecting, you know, not just for politicians to say the right things or thoughts and prayers, but to actually see significant legislative action that changed things. So, Cleve, tell me about some of these other folks that you talked to in Georgia about how they were feeling. Another person that I talked to with Nse Ufat, who is the head of the New Georgia Project, that's the organization that was started by Stacey Abrams, to go and find, you know, reluctant, sometimes rural voters and get them out to the polls. Uh, It was a lot of... A, a lot of the meat of the story is based on sort of extensive conversations with folks who said, I know it's a pandemic. I know it's difficult. I know it's winter. I know that that we've been in this campaign season for like two years. But like, please come out and vote in the election and then please come out and vote again two months later in the runoff. And so tell me a little bit more about what you've been hearing now about how they feel like Biden has not been prioritizing those things. Well, I mean, it's it's there are a lot of people that cursed in the interviews with me. I'll put it that way. A lot of people who feel just disappointed. To be sure, folks knew that Biden was a more moderate candidate, you know, that he was a person that wanted bipartisanship and compromise. But even that, with the words that he said about the black community and its importance, with the Biden administration saying over and over again that they'd have a whole of government approach towards the issues that impact black America, that impact equity in America. And folks are just seeing nothing. You know, just they're just seeing nothing but really lip service and words. There were some executive actions early on, but the bigger legislative things are not happening. And one of the things that folks told me over and over again is that, you know, why isn't Biden fighting harder to get rid of the filibuster? A lot of what stands in the way of these larger issues of Democrats making good on these promises, it, you know, they told me is is the filibuster and getting rid of the filibuster so that, a, you know, a handful of legislators, a handful of senators can't stop progress. And they just wonder why Biden, who spoke in lofty terms about all of this stuff, doesn't get rid of the biggest impediment to making it happen or, or at least use the bully pulpit to try to get rid of the biggest impediment to all of these things. 
In some ways, what you're describing feels relatively normal for the start of a presidency, right? There's a a huge amount of enthusiasm before an election, Mm -hmm. and then the rubber meets the road, and things get a lot more complicated, and everybody's dreams do not come true. But I'm wondering what is at stake here in the short term? I mean, not only just about whether Biden could be reelected in three years, but like in nearer terms, why does this waning enthusiasm matter? Yeah. And and to your point, you know, Biden did not have a normal beginning of the presidency, right? Like he took took office in the middle of a global pandemic and his first priority, his biggest priority was addressing that. But I think that it can be said that the point that we are at now is the end of the benefit of the doubt portion of Biden's presidency, the point where folks are like, look, we understand you had to solve the coronavirus pandemic. We understand there was this big pressing issue, but like, how are you going to deliver for us? And whether he delivers, whether Democrats deliver will impact, you know, like you said, in the short term and in the long term, how folks feel about Democrats, about politicians, about what happens in this Virginia governor's race, about what happens in the midterms. If folks feel that Democrats can't, you know, can't deliver, then they're going to begin looking for other options. Now, I asked a lot of folks, okay, well, what are those what are those other options? Are you going to go to the Republican Party or whatever? Folks, what folks told me was, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean jumping ship from the Democratic Party, but elections are based on enthusiasm and energy and momentum. And if a lot of folks feel that electing Democrats is just going to be the same old, same old, then it's going to make it harder for the folks like Mondale Robinson or harder for the folks like the New Georgia Project to get the most reluctant voters out to the polls. I'm curious how they are making decisions about what their priorities are. I'm still not done. There's no path to uh, protecting voting rights that doesn't include getting rid of the filibuster. So what we I talked to... Talk Ente Ufat from the from the New Georgia Project for about an hour. And one of the things she said was that these elections, midterm elections particularly, are about energy and enthusiasm. Like if midterms are about enthusiasm and turnout, like who do you think is excited to show up and vote in November 22 in this, at this moment? Because mm-hmm. it's Democrats, it's not black folks, it's not young people. We haven't had any movement on climate change. They're going to need all of these folks, Democrats in particular, Biden is going to need all of these folks who came out in mass in future elections. But how do you get those folks to come out in mass again if you haven't delivered for them or if they have this strong opinion that their votes, you know, their feelings, their communities even have been taken for granted? What would it take for Biden to be in less of a weak position in states like like Georgia going forward? I mean, for these poll numbers to turn around. What would he need to demonstrate to these voters and especially black voters? Yeah. And one of the questions is whether this dip in poll numbers since September really is a result of a really hard time in the Biden presidency, right? You know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the Delta variant, you know, running rampant through America. So there is a chance that, you know, this is just a momentary dip or that some of these numbers will rebound and and folks will come back to the fold after this sort of hard time. But the folks that I've talked to and particularly the folks that really went after those reluctant voters and encouraged them to take a leap of faith and believe in the electoral process. For those folks, it's, it's sort of simple. It's like deliver on the things that you promised. If he doesn't, well, things just just continue to be murky. 
After the break, Cleve calls up an old source in Georgia to find out what has changed since Biden was elected. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. If you have listened to this podcast for a while, you might remember this voice. This is Bob Melvin. He's a county commissioner in Macon County, Georgia. And last December, we followed him around for a day as he canvassed for the Democrats in the Senate runoff election. After that episode aired, we heard from a lot of listeners who found that Bob's story really stuck with them. And I think that part of that is because at the time, Bob had cancer and he was still out there knocking on doors despite the risks during a pandemic. So today, Cleve and our producer Ted Muldoon called him back. Mr. Melvin! Hey, how are you doing? Are you uh, doing some yard work? Uh, Yes, sir. Let me stop and catch my breath. They wanted to hear what Bob has been thinking, and he let us record that conversation. So I'll I'll ask you the question that I was going to ask you last week, which is, Mm -hmm. I know that you went out really hard knocking on doors at at great personal cost um, to try to get folks to vote for Biden, to get folks to vote in this election, to vote in the runoff and all of that stuff. And a lot of it was predicated on this thought that that would mean good things would come to your community. And I wonder on this side of the election, with all the stuff that's happened over the past eight or nine months, how you feel about what Biden has delivered or not delivered to your community specifically. Um, To my community specifically, what he ran on, I haven't seen it yet because he, he has a fight in the House, has a fight in the Senate, but he should not have this fight in the House when a Democrat holds the House. And so, you know, I'm, I'm predicating him to be successful as this uh, great communicator, getting people to buy into his ideas. And I just don't see that just yet. What impact does that have the next time that you go out and have to get these reluctant voters, voters who have other stuff on their mind and jobs and kids and stuff to take care of? Like, as I ask other people, does it make the work harder going forward? It makes the work. It makes the work harder simply because when we're out, we're trying to do civics one on one. And even though we have a Democratic president, but if he does, if we don't have a majority held Senate or majority held House, it really does him no good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to get things passed. It's it's hard to get things done when you look at the justice reform bill, when you look at the tax plan that they're trying to put in place 
and, and you look at this uh, spending with the deficit increasing that everything is at a is at a standstill and so it's hard to defend that when we go back out it really does is there a sense that Democrats should be more strategic I wonder if folks like you who are who are at the grassroots level feel like th- there's this obligation to be more strategic about things like the filibuster or getting the the caucus in line you know not seeking out bipartisanship like what are your thoughts on on what Biden should do to get it done um, President Biden should be trying to seek out bipartisanship if not move forward but to me, you need to break it down in a layman's term because everybody's not going to understand politics as they are today. The information that I'm hearing when I'm out there, okay, Bob, you had us vote for Mr. Warnock. Where is Warnock at now? You know what I mean? And to me, I think the Democrats should have taken a victory lap, those that won in key areas, to let those supporters know that, hey, I thank you for that. And I don't I don't think that's happening. I, I wonder how you feel about that ability of Biden to deliver or to not deliver. All right. To be honest with you, um, please, I, I really feel let down because the same issues that I have in the second congressional district, my county does not have a hospital. The county to the north of me does not have a hospital. The county west of me does not have a hospital. The county to the east of me does not have a hospital. But we're saying that we're pushing health care and we care about the rural communities and that the um, farming community is what make America run. Well, put your money where your mouth is. You know what I mean? If we can come up with a program or some sort to entice doctors and teachers to come to the rural community, that's what they need to work on. We, we, we're missing the boat. Rural America does not matter where you're at in this country is left out. We don't have a seat at the table. Did you have an expectation that it would be different? Well, I, I did feel that uh, something would change because he has 30 plus years in the political process. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I expected him to affect the change that he saw under the Obama administration that they pushed. He's been there for 30 plus years. And so, yes, I expected change. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I did. I thought things would get better. Some of the people that we elected in November of last year, I haven't seen them anymore. I haven't had, heard from any of their campaigns. And so now the emails are coming saying, you know, support this. Well, where have you been from last year to now? You know what I mean? Bob Melvin is a Macon County commissioner in Georgia. Cleve Woodson is a White House reporter for The Post. Today's story was produced and mixed by Ted Muldoon. Our episode about the Georgia runoff election is one where we got a lot of feedback from listeners. We talked to people canvassing for the Democrats, like Bob, but we also heard from Republican voters. And we dove into the fascinating history of runoffs. I highly recommend listening. We'll include a link in our show notes and at postreports.com. 
This kind of reporting is only possible because of our subscribers. If Bob's story stuck with you too, I hope you'll consider subscribing to The Washington Post. Right now, you can try The Post for just a dollar a week, which gets you unlimited access to everything we publish. Learn more at WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.